Hello and welcome to our podcast, Two Old Chuffs, A Tale of Two Hospices. I'm Tamsin Thomas. And I'm Gina Starnes. And we are sat outside this afternoon, which is glorious. We're actually in the gardens of Mount Edgecombe Hospice. And we're here, not just we chose to sit here and be jolly, but because we've a reason to be sat in the garden. And that is our guest today, George Castle, the Cornish Gardener infamous and famous in equal measure around this county. Um, are you a gardener, Gina? Um, I, we have a large garden, actually, um, and we usually buy things and we think, well, they've got two chances, really. <laughs> so um, that's, that's kind of how we've worked our garden, but I do love the garden and it's beautiful at the moment. See, George knows that I'm not a gardener. You know, I have a garden and I kind of ignore it and it ignores me and I'm always saying to people never buy me plants but I did find myself buying some plants the other day does that suggest I'm getting old George? I fancy it does Tamsin yes yes although of course I do know the nursery you went to and I also quite aware that they have rather a wonderful tea shop there so I do wonder if it if it wasn't that cream caramel slice that you've gone for. The cakes uh, get me every time George they really do. I, I think sitting out here, aren't we lucky? Because look, we're in a Cornish garden in spring and we are surrounded by colour. Mm. And it is a typical Cornish garden as well because just behind you is a huge magnolia there just coming out in flower, uh, which must be 25 years old, if not a bit more. Um, behind me we've got uh, quite a range of camellias and of course around the St Austell area we're absolutely mm. famous for camellias and talking to somebody which I thought was fascinating, a few... Uh, few years ago now he'd been over towards China and the Himalayas and all that sort of area where they come from um, and said um, they flower much better you realize here in Cornwall than they do where they come from <laughs> that's what no, that can't that can't be surely you know where where the plant originated you thought would be the best place for it in the world and he said no no we get much better flower in around Cornwall and, and particularly around the St Austell area which which of course is where a lot were hybridized over at um, the name has escaped you. Uh, um, It'll come back, don't Castle, worry. Castle, Castle. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it seems that we are one of the best places in the world, and there's somewhere in New Zealand that's pretty good as well. And, and isn't it true that in Victorian times, a lot of the, the grand Cornish gardeners, or their staff maybe, um, went around the world and bought plants back? You know, yes. that was quite a thing, wasn't it, oh, in Victorian times? It was. Um, they tended to fund people... Um, and yeah, I mean the Williams family—they they certainly did fund several people uh, getting uh, not just camellias, but any plants that they uh, thought would have um, garden interest. Um, and that was the same really all over the country. But in in I think in this country in particular, we did a lot of that sort of thing. They were introduced here, and then they went worldwide after that. Remastered by grandma who always used to take a very large handbag and a small pair of scissors with her whenever she went on any gardening trips and used to come back with all sorts in her bag but I guess that's the same thing is that they kind of propagate and, and, and try and it's um we used to get it at, but I worked for a couple of years for the National Trust in Cornwall and you would catch people in the garden mm. and when you said to them look you, you just can't take a cutting they'd say well it's only one and the, and you'd say yeah but you're one of maybe 100 people that walk through yeah. this garden this afternoon mm. if you all take a cutting there's no garden left no well in actual fact when I was training and I was in London uh, working in uh, Hall Place Gardens so that's um, quite near Woolwich and um, uh, and Bexley Heath so that sort of area we were 
uh, I was actually told several times there was one part of the garden which had a high rise area uh, up some steps and I had to stay there because I could look over um, two or three whole beds um, and you know we had a lot of sort of punk type people back in that day that would be coming in and you know I used to get worried about them and my head gardener said no 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 they're fine they'll, they'll be down in the bottom and they'll probably you know get drunk or they might have something else that they're imbibing on but don't worry about that um, just watch for ring pulls when they've gone because that plays up the mowers no he said um, we have coach falls coming up from Kent and it's the old ladies you've got to watch they're the ones that nick it and nick everything and you need to stand up there and he would shout and I'd have to run up to the top <laughs> I did used to live in Woolwich, but my grandma never visited, so I'm just moving my large handbag back with my foot as we talk. <laughs> well, we've still got a couple of plants that my grandmother um, got originally uh, when Granny uh, got married. Um, both of my grandmothers influenced my gardening career, but Granny, when she got married, she came from quite a poor family and then moved into a fairly well-off um, farming family and, and got invited out to lunch. Um, so she she said, um, you people these days don't know you're born with these plastic bags. We used to have to keep plants alive with a wet hanky in the bottom of your bag. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, the, it's I think plants are so important, aren't they? Because my dad, um, elderly father, has recently come down to live with us. Mm. And it was really important for us to go round the garden and to bring certain important plants for him down to, well, hopefully everything crossed to see if they're growing in Cornwall. So we've got kind of like um, a lovely, what we call a southering wood, which is a lovely smell when you um, when you touch the, the branches. Yes. And and to try and, and get that growing here was really important to him. So I think, you know, it's those memories that come down the generations are, are hugely important for people, aren't they? rhododendrons and I think of my mother because she had yeah. them all round the garden at Pol Ruin. Yeah. Uh, it's funny what sticks in your mind, yeah. isn't it? Um, professionally, as, as sort of designing gardens, you know, I've gone to people and they say, oh, we've got a few things over there, I, I don't know if you can work them in. And quite quickly I realised I needed to know what yeah. are they, where do they come from? Um, and time and time again there were plants there oh um, that was one my aunts gave me and we've had it for a few years and and she died or, or that was that was mother's was mother still around oh no and you think oh that's got to go in um, and it was quite important to to build those plants in and say oh, no we've got to find somewhere for that then um, and also people slightly different but people have memories yeah. and I found this with with chaps quite often um, they won't have anything much to do with the design of the garden at, at a the early stages and then when you start putting things in um oh i used to work so and so and they used to have one of those there or oh yeah i don't know my my, my gran had one of those and you think oh you know and that was always something i tried to build in as i was designing things i, I take books of pictures and and try to get those sort of memories out so that then they had a connection so like you're saying with your yeah. dad there's a connection yeah. with the garden and it's, it's plants do that it's really uh, really strange but I, important. I just think it's amazing that we often talk about especially in hospice care making memories mm, and the importance mm. of memories and here we are it's weaved into gardening all sorts of things yeah, yeah. and and quite often people uh, uh, my mother she, um, she she always loved bright colors um, I'm I'm just looking at your top and with the flowers and the pins on that's just the sort of thing mother would have would have wore um, but probably in puce as well you know, there was always something a pre puce and emerald or something clashing colors uh, you know was mother's thing with bright red nails and um, when uh, when she died 
uh, which she just drifted away really and she was 85 she um, loved anything bright I was working at Pine Lodge and I did the flowers on her coffin top and I went and got branches of magnolia that we had to cut off because they were too low so we cut and we cut like three four foot pieces off and then put them in oasis and put them on top of the coffin and when she came in the number of people that went oh somebody said those flowers are just like Teresa that was that typified her you know and it was all there was quite a quite a murmur over you know look at the flowers flowers Oh, that's lovely. This isn't is brilliant. It? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, was your was that the influence then, Mum and grandmothers, that got you into gardening? Did you always know you were going to love yeah. this world? I think so. Um, certainly, as far as gardening was concerned, I, I remember sort of doing some planting some Love Lies of Bleeding as a three, four year old in a trough at home, and was always out tinkering in the garden, and it was always the case. Um, but then looking back. Um, uh, dad's mother she was she was quite a professional gardener in her own right and her family they'd been um, gardeners at Pencaro and various houses up around the Bobman area so it was certainly came down through the genes um, but and granny just loved tinkering so that was mum's mum the other granny she loved tinkering um, mother had a slightly different approach because she loved entering garden shows but she didn't worry about going down to um the fruit shop at Weybridge and buying a pun of the strawberries to make sure she'd get first prize because that <laughs> made up her. lady! <laughs> and then, and then she got first prize there and she got several first prizes, well then that would get her the cup. <laughs> um, uh, mother would just, mother probably wasn't as sophisticated as gardener as you are really. She would just dig a hole, chuck it in, we hoped it was green side up and it usually grew somehow. But Yeah, yeah but I'm only sophisticated because the lady at the nursery told you to. <laughs> gave me a written instruction about how I was going to keep this plant alive. I think she sussed us out straight away. Uh-oh, rank amateurs. Yeah. Did you know that it would become your, your, not only your passion and your interest, but your career? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I always struggled at school as to know him sort of or what, what you want to do and I never really really knew and funny funny enough I only ever had two things that I ever thought I would follow and um, one was um, was was gardening uh, and lots of people were saying oh you know there's all oh, this there's no future in that which was quite wrong now as we as we look back um, and the other was to be a maths teacher <laughs> so okay. um, but of course in the end I did the best of both worlds because I I did um, an awful lot of gardening, but I also did a fair amount of teaching horticulture. George, I, I, I find it, um, as somebody who has no interest, well, no, I have got a bit of an interest in gardening, but no knowledge of gardening, how some gardeners always seem to keep so much information in their heads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We sometimes keep it in. Sometimes it drifts drifts out a little bit. Odd odd bits disappear, and they might reappear again a week or two later. Um, there, it's a funny old thing, because th- there's a lot of things in in horticulture. There's a lot of people that are a bit, uh, what shall I say? They get a bit prickly about horticulture and the pay and those sort of things, because one is expected to to have uh, an encyclopedic. Uh, memory and knowledge of plants and where they come from and what to do with them and how big they're going to get and when they flower and all those sort of things um, and you know some of the there's quite a few horticultures around um, that probably hold a knowledge of say about 10,000 plants um, I'd certainly come into that and there's a few people I've met that can triple that 
um, which is a huge amount of information in itself, let alone perhaps how the plants grow, soil conditions. Um, I mean, I've also plant, uh, taught garden history, garden design, so there's the arts as well as the science side, so it can be quite vast. Um, so there's a vast amount of knowledge, so encyclopedic knowledge, uh, you, you should... Um, be able to work in any conditions and have a back with a hinge in the middle <laughs> so those are, you know and that's and then uh, and then expect to be paid minimum wage you know there are people that come from that sort of way so there's uh, there is quite a lot in horticulture and the other thing is we can take anybody at any level so I've worked with people um, who uh, have very serious um, learning and perhaps physical problems um, young adults and they've been able to do certain jobs uh, in horticulture and so on and, and, and enjoyed it and it's been very therapeutic for them as well and got them out and they've really felt they've done something um, and then you can work right the way up through sort of horticulture skilled horticulturists on to people who do um, master's degrees and doctorates in either as I mentioned just now the sort of the garden history or design side but also in the science sides as well with genetics plant breeding all sorts so we can take anybody from any academic level and I really do mean from any academic level from somebody who um, does have uh, a mental disability a serious mental disability up to someone who is doctorate level and beyond and I that's borne out I think by Gardener's Question Time on Radio 4 because I listen to that I love that program which always makes people laugh because I'm not a gardener but they, they appeal to me, who knows nothing, but clearly some of the people asking questions know an awful lot. Oh, yes. And they're pushing the experts for that little bit more information on top. Uh, you must never, as, as a professional horticulturist, you must never um, underestimate um, keen amateur gardeners. Because what you find is, although we may have a very wide knowledge, they may have an area that's quite specialist. And I, I just heard driving over about somebody growing pumpkins and they've got one, I don't know, something like a metre and a half across. I thought, oh my God, I don't think I could do that. But you do get specialist growers that can grow a vegetable to a size and it might just be two or three types of vegetables that they've concentrated on. And then you get somebody, orchids. I mean, you've... Uh, done things on the radio and I've been on on the radio and taken questions on and the one we all hate is when somebody comes in and says oh I've got a such and such an orchid and for, for the first thing you look at you think I've got a clue what that is <laughs> um, um, but you've got your basics that you know is always right or you know do you keep it in a in a Sunday window and you haven't got it too wet and those sort of things you just keep your fingers crossed that you might have hit something we didn't plan this but would you like to see my orchid oh Tamsin I thought you'd never ask I don't think what she's, oh my goodness I got this orchid right. for mothering Sunday. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, this so, is a purple phalaeopsis. <laughs> I, I think probably with a very large battery in the bottom. Yes. Uh, and uh, covered with a, a, um, a sort of felt-like stem. I think it yes. looks a little bit creepy myself. But yeah. the good thing is I can't kill it. No, no. I was going to say. Wind up toy. Don't overwater it, dear. <laughs> don't put too much water in. And. Um, I would say you haven't got to worry about a Sunday, sunny window for that one. <laughs> well spotted, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to say. Uh, you're listening to Two Old Chuffs, A Tale of Two Hospices, and we're talking gardening. George, 
I, I know you don't mind us talking a little bit about uh, the fact that you support our Open Gardens programme, which hopefully this year is going to go ahead because obviously in uh, 2020, I lose track of the years, we had to call them off because of the COVID outbreak. That's right, yeah. Um, but you support us because you've actually, we've touched your life, haven't we, as a charity? That's right, yes. Um, I think I started working you with working with you with the gardens um, probably back in 2013-14, something like that, which was before I realised that the hospice, hospice was going to become much more important. And uh, my partner Mark was working with you as a, a, a shop manager, and um, very quickly he sort of wasn't all that well and went to the doctors and we found that he'd got uh, esophageal cancer and um, that was already metastatic so it was already in a very serious um, uh, situation that really there wasn't anything that we could do and he decided he would take the palliative route um, and then we came here um, to Mount Edgecombe Hospice and that was brilliant I must admit when we came we were worried about coming we didn't sort of know what was going to happen and everything else uh, but he was adamant that he wanted to come to the hospice and one of the very first conversations with Bernice was you know what are we going to do what's our, what's our approach how are we going to treat you while we're here um, should we try to get uh, pain under control and that sort of thing and perhaps go home and no, he said, no, I've, I've come here to die. And she said, yes, that's fine, that's okay, no problem. And just to have that conversation mm. was, was fantastic. And then we knew where we were going. The next 10 days, I have so memory, many memories, um, which were just fantastic. Um, I, we laughed so often. He was, he um, very quickly, first of all, he thought, should I be here? Am I ill enough? Um, and Bernice said, well, yes, there was, she counted up five reasons why you should be in the hospital. And she said, any one of those um, would mean you should be here. And you've got these five things that we want to sort out. So that validated being here. Uh, and from then on, it um, was, was really, really brilliant. We were here 10 days and they were fantastic. He was calm. He was happy. Everything got in control. Well, most things were in control except for me. Uh, what happened one day was um, his mum came up to see him, quite a frail little lady herself, and we got her in a wheelchair, and she was going to be seeing him for the last time. And um, he had a, a room, an ensuite room, and she wanted to use the loo. Anyway, I managed to get her in and pop her on the loo, and then his brother was there, myself, and the three chaps, we were talking away. And Mark was fairly frail, but making quite a bit of conversation. And, um, which, this doesn't happen, but one of the nurses just burst into the room and stopped two, two three paces in. And we all looked, and she said, are you all right? And we said, yes. <laughs> and she said, you've pulled the emergency cord. And Dave and I said, no, 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 we, we haven't. And she said, well, and another nurse came behind us and said, everything right? And, oh, it's not here. Well, oh, yes, it was. It was this room. It was room one. And I'm sure you've pulled the cord. And then all of a sudden we realised Mother, and we'd forgotten her for about 20 minutes and left her on the loo. <laughs> now, Gina, you know nurse humour. Yes. We never lived that one down, no, really. No, that, that went, so that kept going around. You know, somebody would come in, and you've not got any old ladies in the loo, have you? <laughs> And it was things like that. I mean, it was uh, it was just all the way through. It was just um, the right sort of journey for us. And um, and then one morning he just passed away, um, and and that was that was fine. So 
uh, it was uh, for me it was very very supportive I knew he was comfortable we knew where we were going once we came in and it was it was fine and Tamsin you said to me am I alright coming back in here and yes because although there are sad memories there's happy memories here as well so it's that funny mixture of the two you know it's 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 like gardens you've got to have summer and winter and is did it help having the grounds i mean as a as a outdoor person as a person with a passion for the outside did the garden help around this hospice um for mark a bit he he came out once um but not a lot so i think as far as he was concerned i wouldn't say it did a great deal there but for us as a family yes because um Gene, as you'd appreciate, after sort of 20 minutes he would get tired and he was he was quite gobby so he was quite happy to say, look, I'm feeling tired now, sort of. <laughs> Which some patients do. Don't they? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fine. So we could sort of around the garden and when his cousin came down from Wiltshire, um, again, we, we spent three or four trips walking around the garden and um, his mum, when we didn't forget her on the loo, I popped her in the wheelchair and brought her around and, and it was lovely for her and she said oh he's in a lovely place isn't he so that I think I, I can't think what it must be like to lose a child whatever age um, but I think for her she and afterwards after he died she said oh it's lovely gardens there and that was something that seemed to stick a chord with her so I would have to answer you yeah I think it was very important as far as our experience is concerned um, as the family, possibly more so than Mark in, in our case. Yeah. I think I think people often say that it's somewhere that's close but just gives you a bit of a bit of a break. Mm. And also I think, you know, we've had you know, people outside having picnics or having, you know, kind of just being able to gather together, which is which is lovely. Um, when often you or sometimes you don't want lots of people in the room. So no. actually it's another like an outdoor room really to, yeah. to go and, and to be together. And, and when you've got children involved, perhaps? Yeah, I think, you know, kids are sometimes difficult to occupy because actually they, you know, I think parents often feel they need to be quiet and they need to be, you know, kind of um, not running around. But they, they can come out here and, you know, have a bit of play, which is, yeah. which is also quite nice. So um, I think, you know, for us and for lots of hospices, they, they often have beautiful grounds. And I think, you know, we all see the benefit of actually coming out into a lovely space. Mm. And certainly, you know, I think nurses do too sometimes you know you maybe don't always want to go after a tricky part of a shift yeah into having coffee in the in the coffee room maybe you want to go for a little walk and a bit of fresh air and just kind of um you know breathe in the, the blue skies and the magnolia tree and that's nice just to take five minutes as well and we would encourage that i think that that kind of mental refresh is is lovely and you can do that often much easier in a garden and outdoor space and there's an awful lot of study into that at the moment, isn't there? I know the Huge Japanese amount. are doing a lot of a lot of work into how a yeah. garden or an outdoor space can affect yeah. your mental well-being. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think COVID's reminded people as well, actually, mm. how important it is to to get out. I think there are, you know, you you come to work. I mean, I set off quite early in the morning, but actually, you know, there are lots more people out and about, and you know, walking, and um, and there's been lots more. I think posts on 
places like you know Facebook who are admiring things like you know when the first camellias come out when the daffies are out you know where you can go for your snowdrop fix you know all that kind of thing is is lovely that that people are I think they're noticing more and yes I think we realize how much we, we need it and how lucky we are in Cornwall really to have that kind of fresh air and garden it's, um, and the variety amazing, yeah, as well I think because you know um, well, Tamsin, you've been brought up near the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't. I mean, I, I never really knew the coast much as a child. So we were always brought up inland, but we've got the places like the National Trust places. Yeah. You know, Lanai, Trillisic, all of those wonderful ones. And then the coast. Of course, Trillisic is on the coast. But uh, the high, I, I love the high coast up around Tintagel. Those yeah. days, you know, some people get a bit of vertigo up there. But um, <laughs> oh, but I've also found since, uh, since the lockdown that... Um, people have put a, a post on say Facebook and they've taken a picture you know the wonders of phones these days and taken a picture posting it and you know what's this you know and there's there's yeah. all sorts of flowers yeah. people are you know perhaps what I would think will be common yeah. uh, wildflowers well, perhaps not always wild that they've seen so that's good that they're getting an interest and I think also um, here that um, don't underestimate the wildlife no because um, <laughs> this garden I mean we've got the, the biggest fattest happiest squirrels I think <laughs> this side of anywhere um, but also at, at Christmas there was I think it was Christmas there was a flurry of joy because we had a deer a little oh, deer that would come into the back courtyard where we've got ornamental deer and lie down near them right um but you know for, for the patients and the families yeah. it's it's all that comes with a garden so yes. it's the water feature and and our koi carp is it um, yes yeah. and it's the squirrels and everything else and that was at christmas uh, good job it wasn't at the rutting season wasn't it yeah. yes <laughs> so that Tamsin was rather ticked off because actually she'd been in lots of posts on social media about you know kind of supporting the hospice and and the one that got the most likes by thousands was the post and the photo <laughs> about the deer. <laughs> we can talk about what we do in the hospices, all the minute and animals involved, but that's the same anywhere, I think. It really is. But it's just that, I think, that overall benefit, whether, it, whether you're into gardening or not, of just... I mean, even just sitting here this afternoon. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, I'm wondering if the recording will pick up the blackbird... He's, he's singing for a mate, isn't he? Yeah. I think it's that time of year, isn't it? Oh, probably, yes. Just yeah. your orchid comes in. That's <laughs> well, of course, I, I think you all do, don't you? You're all admiring that orchid. Um, does it make it different for you? Because uh, I can remember when we first asked if you mm. would support the Open Gardens programme, uh, and you very happily and willingly did. Does it, is it different now you have experienced what our charity is all about at first hand yes vastly um i was quite happy to i mean mark worked with you and i was quite happy to and thought oh yeah it's a good thing to do um but that emphasis sort of in my heart has changed um completely because now it's it's a very important thing to because i have experienced um the whole process of of being here the support uh, and realize how vital that support is um, and from the moment that we we came in you know because Mark was staff he knew there was a lot of people that would recognize him and uh, at the very beginning I came in and spoke to, to Jan who I didn't know then and said he's a bit worried about coming through the front door oh she said he'll come in the back come on we'll bring the car around right around to the back park over there that's my space and we'll put him in the back door and just that oh my goodness that's that's good and it went all the way through so um, yeah, I really do appreciate um, the importance of somewhere like this, um, 
when things are difficult. Uh, and I also very much appreciate the support that Mark had. He was really, really calm here, and um, you know his his horror was. He said, "Oh, I don't, I don't want to die at the major hospital," which you know that was his um, that was his thought, and it was fair enough. And here, you, I could just see the difference. Yes, you know, every, everyone was was here. It was just the right place to be for him. Um, and then, and also for me, because I mean, how the care I had here, the last night or two, we were discussing whether I should go home or no. I had to make that decision. But the staffs were, were there to put the pros and cons. You know, where are you? What are you doing? And, and we made the right decisions. And that was so good. Because I mean, as a member of staff, you can't say what to do, but you can tell me the pros and cons for me to make the decision. And I think that's what we would always want to do: is to to work with with families to say actually you know if you're living a long way away actually it's, it's a difficult you know you have to realize what what might happen while you're not here mm. um and and likewise you know actually some patients make that choice that they actually want to 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 die or to slip away on their own yeah. so you you really never know but actually i think it's really important that you are left with the right memories which is um and we would help people work through that which, whichever way and that certainly is the <coughs> case for me and also after um, I, I had one session with a counsellor here, um, I, I felt I was sort of going in the right direction anyway, but it was lovely just to have that conversation and check things through. Um, and she and I both said at the end, well, you know, I think we're all right. And she said, well, if you do need anything. And the other thing was, you, you sort of think, well, am I all right or no? Um, and what what she did was sort of talk through with me that I would recognise if things were were going in the wrong direction. Yeah. And there's never a one-size-fits-all, no. is there, no. really, for, for grief and for managing that. And actually, it's again, it's about that individuality, really. So it's about going at people's own pace um, and supporting them. And it's, you know, it's about us remembering that actually, you know, dying does, does happen. It's a bit mm. like, you know, your, your orchids or your flowers or your garden things, um, Tamsin. Actually, there is that cycle, isn't there? And um, and it's about supporting people through that, which is, you know, hugely important. But you people do find their own way, and they're much stronger than and resilient than they think they are. Yes, and and also, but like you said, it is it is the time and how yeah. one thing might affect me that might not affect you, and yeah. we're, we're all a bit different. Um, but time is the great thing. So I feel when Tamsin, when you said to me, how do I feel about being here and how uh, it affects me but I feel as if I've been a patient here uh, as well um, really because we were very much treated as as a couple and treated you know in that way that that's how it is both people I didn't think you know I thought it was Mark that was coming here but I've sort of been here as well because I was looked after so much as well in a, in a different way yeah. but still equally as much which has certainly aided my recovery um, if you can call it recovery but whatever uh, the, uh, aided me to get to the point I am now yeah. so yeah I appreciate you chatting like that it, it, it's interesting we don't know who listens to these podcasts no. and sometimes you know people who are dealing with grief or, or the effects of someone being terminally ill listens to things or seeks things out for themselves you know and it's I think hugely beneficial when it's someone who's experienced it who can talk about it so thank you
No, it's my, it's my pleasure. I do think it's very important. And, and Gina touched on something, you know, life is a cycle from birth to death and it, it happens to everybody. Um, but we do worry about talking su to, about such things. And I remember feeling quite shocked and surprised when Mark made the decision at the hospital um, and said, no, we won't follow the treatment. They said with treatment, he probably wouldn't have more than three or four months. Um, so he said, no, we won't follow that route, we'll go straight to palliative. Um, and the sort of realisation of what that meant was quite shocking at the time. But being here, we were able to see that decision through um, in a really very calm way, in, in a way that suited, suited us uh, and, um, and got to the point where he you know, was, quite happy, was quite happy to die and that, and that was fine. Uh, and it was all quite acceptable. Well, thank you, because that it really is uh, very generous of you to talk about it and, and to share your story. Um, this year, because yes. we're still not sure where COVID is going, um, we're going to have a mix of some open gardens, we hope, where people can go, but also some virtual tours where people can watch a film that which will take them round to garden. Um, what is the attraction about seeing other people's gardens? Is it sheer nosiness? I think so. Or is it like me, because I like a cream tea? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to admit that. The time I think, is right. I think those are the two main issues, really. Um, but we can perhaps dress that up a little bit. <laughs> That's very good of you. <laughs> Certainly, a lot of people sort of are told that they're driving someone to, but and the incentive is the cream tea, uh, or or, um, or a cup of tea and a, and a lovely slice of chocolate cake, whatever. But also, you know, we do look through. We love looking through gardening books, gardening magazines. Gardening magazines are vastly popular and have been have been since when, Tamsin? Do you think <laughs> the first gardening magazines come oh, out? Well, now that's would that have been in before around the war time when we had to start gardening before that much before really um yes the first gardening magazines came out uh, in the 1830s early 1830s wow uh, and um they were they right away became very very popular and uh, there was one uh, lady publisher who um, promoted, Gina, you know, we were talking just now about sort of health, mental health, but this lady, she did garden magazines for ladies. Ew. And it was for, and it was for ladies um, because she gave you instructions as jobs to get your staff to do. <laughs> and jobs that was... That's and it. jobs for you times that were suitable for you to do and you would need um, a small pair of uh, a small pair of secretaries or very sharp scissors um, and you may be told how to deadhead something and then your staff could put it on the compost heap and it was very much in that tone. I was born into the wrong family I think. It's the wrong time love really. Time. Yes. <laughs> yeah by a long chalk. <laughs> How was your column in 1830? <laughs> yeah, pretty good, love, yeah. <laughs> Took a while before you could put on the radio, though. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I wondered, actually, if it was... There is an element of just seeing what other people do. Yeah, so there is... But, but it is good, because you do go to see... And I still... I, I, I still do. If I'm thinking about somebody's garden, there's nothing like 
going and having a look at a few other gardens uh, you might see a plant think oh yeah god that that'll go over there that's the sort of plant or it might make you think of another you know you were talking about some shrubs that you bought recently that turned out to be green bushy things but uh, good, you know good you may description I, <laughs> good... I, I recognize that yeah <laughs> But you think, oh yeah, yeah, you see one and you think, yes, that would go in that place or we ought to have some of those. Um, or you'll see a, a design, a layout and you think, actually, yeah, if I make that bigger, make it smaller, tweak it. So go in to see whatever garden it is. Um, I, there was a tiny little garden in St. Orstall that um, I looked at with one of our garden open schemes three four years ago and you went around the back and you think oh my goodness there's nothing here um and all of a sudden there was a there was loads and loads and it opened out into a bigger space than it looked it could do and then they'd done lots of terraces and she got um, all sorts of pots of different things in and i remember thinking oh, i could do some of those in in mine at home so you, you you know you can always um i don't like to use nick an idea but adapt I think you can always adapt an idea it's a good you know? word. yeah it's a good word yeah. we all do that <laughs> so quick fire round favorite mm. plant oh favorite plant um favorite plant now one of my largest clients that we we discussed you and i earlier on have a lot of holiday cottages and you need to get color out all the time for, for, for a long period so at the moment i love um napita which is catmint Napita Six Hills Giant. I did go to a gardening club and said about this Napita once and I called it Seven Hills Giant and a lady at the back said, I think you've got a hill too many, George. I think it's only six. It's <laughs> nothing like being correct. <laughs> yeah. You're the so expert. yeah, so so we don't remember everything. Um, but yeah, Napita Six Hills Giant, cat mint, um, grey foliage, roundy little leaf, a long spike of uh, about 45 centimetres 18 inches to you thank you long um, and a bright blue and will flower say from May all the way through to September bees love it really good pollinator plant my, my other favourite is um, ice plant granny used to call it ice plant which is uh, sedum spectabile so it's got a grey fleshy leaf this time of year comes up into a big pink corum you're, you're nodding Gina mm. you know Yes, no, I, I do like so I remember because they, they grow what we used to call them well, they grow babies don't they they do grow babies kids. on the bottom and yes we used, to, we used to plant them out as kids that's it yeah that's <laughs> the one they do yeah yeah yeah, yeah split it up you've got babies <laughs> that don't... Yorkshire I'm completely <laughs> lost now <laughs> <laughs> and um, th those big big purpley pinky headed flowers attract you've you've seen bees yeah, on lovely. them uh, bees butterflies bumblebees i actually counted five different types of bumblebee uh on one in, in at one go once which just amazed me i didn't realize anything, was that many. anything to support the bees yeah. and i'm in that well done favorite season oh um odd one actually because winter um definitely because I think I get so agitated, sort of spring and summer, because I get people ringing up and saying, oh, what do you do about this? What do you do about that? And in the end, you say, oh, I don't know. I don't care. Um, and then you've got grass to cut and things to do. Um, and, and I'm a little bit of a person that does like a bit of stability. So in the winter, it doesn't alter too quickly. A guy I went to school with, he does a lot of hard landscaping, a lot of you know building building walls and patios, does fantastic stuff around North Cornwall. And he um, he said to me, did you do a garden out so-and-so and so-and-so? And I said, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he said, I walked in and he said, um, looks rubbish in the summer, brilliant in the winter. I thought that must be one of George's. <laughs> 
Um, because I, I just feel that whatever you do, you need some sort of structure in the winter. If you get the winter look right, then you can always stick a few bedding plants in the summer, get a bit of colour. Anybody can do that. But you need to get the bones, you were saying your green bushy things, probably knowing the lady that told you to get them she probably made sure they're evergreen so you've got structure yes, in the are. winter yes yeah so yep. you've got winter structure Absolutely. if you've got the winter structure and form right you know looking around here there's so many evergreens just the pine tree in the background yeah, brilliant during because it's just structural during the winter so winter tamsin i don't do quick fire questions do i no That's you don't just, no. i've realized that now so i'm only going to ask one more or, or we'll still be here this evening and they'll be serving a sherry never mind <laughs> well that's never all right mind a I, cream I, can, I can do a sherry if i'm forced if i could transport you yes. to your perfect outdoor place anywhere in the world where would it be my perfect outdoor place there i'm afraid there is only one place it's got no plants oh well no that's not true there are plants of course um but it's um it, it's their brown william router top of router hill is my my go-to place um if i meditate it's always i always start at, at router and go from there so um possibly being truly cornish you know possibly the best place in cornwall but definitely the best place in the world I think that's a lovely note to end on. George, thank you so much for sitting in the garden with us. I don't think it's been much of a hardship. <laughs> on a beautiful afternoon. It's been lovely. Uh, with all the lovely sounds. We, there's even people laughing somewhere in the garden. I love that, uh, a day where you can hear laughter. And that typifies the hospice, because one thing that I always take away with me is how much laughter there was around here. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for chatting to us, for supporting our Open Gardens project, uh, for being you, because you and I have been friends, as you so politely put it, for more than 40 years. And I'm only 42, so we've done well, haven't we? <laughs> thank you very much, George Castle. My pleasure. Thank you, Tamsin. <laughs>